You're listening to SA Talk, San Antonio's favorite podcast for discussions involving the Alamo City. I'm your host and favorite retirement advisor, Zachary Esperiqueta. But I think it's time to change up the intro because as of today, November 1st, Monday, we have Erica Perez joining the San Antonio Podcast Network. We're so happy to have you, Erica. You're going to be joining me on Essay Talk and Searching for San Antonio, but I'm really excited just to have a co-host again. Yes! (laughs) Hey, everyone. I'm super excited to be on here. Thank you so much, Zach, for inviting me onto the show. So I think we're going to have to redo our intro. (laughs) What do you think? I think so. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Well, let's try this again. You're listening to SA Talk, San Antonio's favorite podcast for discussions around the Alamo City. I'm Zach, your favorite retirement advisor. And I'm Erica, San Antonio's favorite transplant. Today is Monday, November 1st, and this week on SA Talk, I have Bernadette Pena, the founder of Nuestra Gente, joining me later on in the podcast. She'll be joining me for a solo interview in the second segment. Um, But really, on this episode, I kind of wanted to take some time to... I guess, share with the listeners who Erica is. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Before they start hearing my voice, it's only fair. (laughs) I think so. And I'm so excited. I know I said it earlier in the intro, but I'm just happy again to like have a co-host with me to kind of share ideas and, and opinions on things happening here in San Antonio. And I think you'll bring a different perspective just because you're not originally from here, but I mean, you're very involved here. You live here and yet you live near downtown. So, I mean... I think it's going to be good to have your perspective. Yeah. And so that's kind of why, you know, the tagline San Antonio's favorite transplant is because I, I learned, you know, back when back home, I learned that the only way you're going to enjoy the city you're in is by immersing yourself in it. Otherwise, you're going to, and you know, no judgment, but you're always going to want to be traveling a lot more if you don't realize, you know, what's right in front of you. And so that's why I'm so involved in the San Antonio community is like, I knew the best way for me to like, start enjoying it was by becoming involved. And so I think it's also cool because it's going to mirror a lot of San Antonians experience. Like a lot of people in San Antonio aren't actually from here originally. So. And the other thing I liked about what you said is immersing yourself. And I think Mm -hmm. even people that grew up here don't do that. Right. You know, they think of the city that they grew up in as, as boring. And honestly, People, including myself when I was younger, had that or shared mm-hmm. that same sentiment about San Antonio until we explored. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of people don't take the time to explore. You know, they grow up in their little bubble in their side of town and mm-hmm. they don't go, uh, you know, aside from maybe some of the tourist things um, and maybe going downtown for fiesta. I know people make the memes like, oh, if you go downtown <laughs> for fiesta, you know, <laughs> don't yeah. even bother. Like, don't, come, don't even bother coming downtown. <laughs> But it's yeah. like, it's true. There are so many people that grow up on, on different sides of town that only come downtown or the urban core for just like one event a year. And that's mm-hmm. it. And they don't really explore the other sides and what it has to offer. But I like that you take a different perspective and seeing that like, you're not from here, you moved here and you're going to immerse yourself in this community yeah. um, to really know what San Antonio is about. So that's, that's great. Yeah. And that's honestly what happened. Like, because I went to, uh, and we'll actually end up talking about this later, I'm, I'm, I think, but I went to UTEP for a few years before I transferred to UTSA. Oh, really? Yes. And I transferred to UTSA and at UTEP, I was not involved, right? I was a commuter student. I showed up, went home. I was done with it. 
And I came here and I was like, how do I get more involved at UTSA? I became a tour guide. So like I knew that school, you know, just completely like the back of my hand. I was, I, you really learn to appreciate things when you immerse yourself in them. And I think that's true for like, not just the city you're in, but probably everything you do, including friendships and family. It's taking the time to really immerse yourself to get to know something. And then you're like, wow, I love what, what this is. Well, that's another cool thing about having you, Erica, as, as a new <laughs> co-host is, is you're another UTSA alumni, fellow UTSA yes, alumni. Go runners. So that's great that we got to like, we get to share that going forward because I, I know, especially on Twitter, but um, some on other social media platforms as well, I've, I've tried to kind of express that fandom or that, you know, mm-hmm. just pride of, of being from UTSA and, and graduating from there. It's a movement. Like it really is. I feel like oh, not just like the football program doing well, but it, it really is. Like I think that the the university has grown. They've been talking about being tier one in terms of like research university mm-hmm. for since I've been there in, in 2011, yeah. starting in 2011. And it's literally like it's getting close. Like it's going to happen. We're becoming more known on a national scale. So I love that. But I guess, is there anything else you, you know, want to share with the listeners about yourself, kind of maybe some about your background or what you enjoy doing, you know, just, I guess anything you want to share? Yeah. So I, like I said, I'm a transplant. And so you'll find me throwing some love at at the 915 El Paso, Texas area. (laughs) Uh, That's where I'm from. And like I said, when I lived there, much like you said about San Antonians that grow up in San Antonio, you know, you're in El Paso, you grow up in El Paso and you're like, boo, you know, I'm too used to this. The mountains look the same every day. The desert's the driest, you know, and nowadays, since I moved and just like everything, you don't know what you have until you lose it. And so definitely sometimes you'll hear me throw shout outs to El Paso or just any of my experiences. They're very much affected by the borderland uh, upbringing. I'd also like to share that uh, since moving to San Antonio, I've, I've kind of been, like I said, involved in a lot of things. I'm a UTSA graduate. And to me, that's the one I claim the most because I spent the most time there. But I also went to UIW. So for my UIW alum, I also graduated from there. So I'm also a part of that town <laughs> or that side <laughs> of town. <laughs> um, I lived in Southtown for a minute. Right now, I just moved literally a week ago to the east side of San Antonio. And then, of course, while I was at UTSA, I was on the north side. My job is on the northwest side. And so I definitely have uh, not to say I've traveled around the city, but that's what it feels like, right? With all the highways and stuff, I've been around the city. And it's just because of that. When I first moved out here, I I guess I saw the Yes Man movie too much. And I was just saying yes a lot to everything. Uh, and I ended up meeting people from literally all parts of San Antonio. I've been to the Sarsamora Pulga because I was in search of really good tacos and someone said there were some there. I've been to the village venue one as well. There's just things that you're like, oh, no, Erica, you've only been living here for a few years. You won't know what I'm talking about. And I'm always like, try me. I will know. I I might know where that's from. I I swear. I'm trying to establish my street cred in SA. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a great way to, to, I guess, explore San Antonio is living on different sides. I have to say, you know, I I grew up on the far northwest Mm -hmm. side. Aside from that, like even when I first moved out for my parents, I still lived um, not mm-hmm. as far on the far west, northwest side, but still in, you know, within like five or yeah. 10 minutes. And then it wasn't until, and the listeners probably know this because I've mentioned it multiple <laughs> times, but of course, then I moved downtown and that was really it. Like that was my, 
introduction to a different side of San Antonio. And I had been downtown before, but like I haven't lived anywhere else except for that little bubble on the far yeah. northwest side. What really made me explore more of San Antonio or want to was when I was living down there, as you can imagine, you probably know, <laughs> it's super expensive. And so I picked up a second job when I was working at Frost and I would drive yeah. for Uber. That'll get That's you around the city. I got to know like all the different, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like I explored different areas. I'm like, I'd be driving somebody and dropping them out. I'm like, hey, I need to check yeah. out this place. And I just got to know and I feel like I rarely ever use maps or anything in my car like when i need to get somewhere because i know how to get there like you just got to tell me a general area i'm like oh yeah i know exactly where that is and i'll just take you and i know the back ways and like that's how i know my city but hey living in different places i mean that's something i'm a little envious of i I think i need to move (laughs) you know my girlfriend and i are thinking about maybe moving to the south like far she grew up in the south side but like further Uh south you know i know there's more developments out there i just honestly i just want to stay away from the north side it's just like way too crazy yeah yeah, it really is i know on social media people are probably tired of hearing me (laughs) rag on alma ranch but like i cannot stand alamo ranch i'm not going that way either i'm not going far west either i also wanted to say that i i also I've worked in the South side. So as you're bringing up the South side, I was like, oh, wait, I've worked in the South side. I worked for a school district over there. And then I also super, super side gig uh, work at the AT&T Center. I won't tell you what I do so you don't look for me, but I have a little baby part-time gig over there. So that was another part of my plot to immerse myself in San Antonio culture was like, what better way than to learn all I can about the Spurs? And I worked for I work for them. Well, I have to ask you about El Paso because I've known a few people from El Paso, Woo! and they Chuco Town. Why is it called Chuco Town? <laughs> like, why is it called? <laughs> they just it, it's funny. My my neighbor Mark. Well, I say my neighbor, but it's it's my dad's neighbor. I just I'm used to calling him my neighbor because of course I lived there for yeah, so yeah. long, and he lived there for so long. He always calls it Chuco Town. Yeah. And that's where he, cause that's where he's from. Sun City, and so, Town, yeah. It, like, why is it just, is Listen, that just a thing? If like, he doesn't make- know the answer, neither do I. <laughs> I I really don't know. I, I, it's got it. There's got to be some sort of Chican, Chicano reference or something. I don't know. Gosh, I feel so embarrassed. I don't know the answer to that question. There's going to be a lot of references being made and connections between people from San Antonio, people from El Paso Mm -hmm. this upcoming week because UTSA is playing UTEP Mm -hmm. over there in the Sun Bowl in El Paso. Um, Did you ever go to a game I'm literally sweating right now because I got excited as you were expressing that. Did you ever go to a game there? Like Hell while you were yeah, there? Yeah, I did. I I went to games while I was there. I I, mean, I guess I tried here and there. People would be like, Erica, you don't like YouTube because you haven't gone to things. So I definitely forced myself sometimes to go to things. And honestly, honestly, I remember going and I remember thinking to myself, I don't give YouTube enough credit. And as you know, I leave YouTube, and again, YouTube starts doing things that are just amazing. And I'm like, I really don't give YouTube enough credit. It's an exciting space. The the thing about El Paso is like it's people that they don't know. It's not everyone, but there's definitely some aspects to the city that they don't know they want things until they get them. And as soon as they get them, they're some of the most supportive, happiest, most cheerful fans that you can possibly have. Going to a concert or a movie premiere in El Paso, for me and my experiences, is not as exciting as going to those things in other places. Because for whatever reason, El Paso is just like... 
they're like a little extra when it comes to celebrating things. <laughs> and I can imagine that that Sun Bowl is a, it's about to get crazy. It is truly about to get crazy. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking of going. I know I was telling you before we started recording, just because my, so my neighbor Mark, like I said, he's he's from there, so he has a lot of family friends there, and they're yeah. they've been telling him like you got to come for the game. Yeah. Especially because I mean UTSA is having a historic season, and UTEP. They, I think they only have one loss. They're like six and one. Yeah. As of us recording this, um, they're going to play later today against FAU. So they might be seven and one. Hopefully they are. Yeah. And if they are, I mean, that's a great matchup between an undefeated team and a team with only one loss playing over there in UTEP. There's been a lot of fans. I'm sure you've seen the same thing on Twitter, but there's been a lot of fans like saying that college game day should make their way out to El Paso. And that would be, that'd be really cool. Like just for exposure for both universities. I think the students would have a lot of fun. Yeah. And I don't have a lot of experience in El Paso. I've been through there and I say through because we would just go there on family vacations when we drive out to California and we drive through El Paso and so I just remember seeing the Sun Bowl and seeing the mountains and thinking like, oh, this is really cool. My parents would be like, hey, Mexico's right over there. And then that was pretty much it. But I haven't spent like any time there. So I really hope I do end up going. Um, mm-hmm. If I do, obviously, I'll t- talk all about it next week. But I-, I think it'd be just really exciting to go see. I've, I've only seen one UTSA away game. They played A&M mm-hmm. uh, a few years back in College Station. I went to that. That was a lot of fun. But... I think this would be a different experience and um, I'm excited. So hopefully, hopefully I get to go. Fingers I crossed. hope you go just so you can see the mountains and experience. I don't know. Cause their whole campus is like literally on the mountain. And so you're going to get a little bit of a workout, but you're also going to have a really great time and it's really near downtown. So you're going to be able to also go out if you really want to go out after or whatever. Well, it's a night game. They moved it to a night I game. Know. So I think that'll be cool too. Listen, <laughs> I still follow people from UTEP, right? I believe I follow one of their photographers. Um, I follow this is, one girl whose name is just she's she's establishing a name for herself because she's defending uh, UTEP from all the UTSA hate memes or whatever. Like the way, you know, how I think I they go that. back. Yeah, her name is Shelly. Shout out to Shelly. You are doing it, girl. The people, <laughs> she literally tweeted, she's like, I don't think people even know who I am. But the fact that I defended UTEP once has gotten her a lot of attention. And I hope I get to meet her. But I'm excited that, like you said, two schools that aren't used to this attention are about to get it. And if they get it, I think it's going to be so magical. I, I'm so jealous. I want to go too. I really do. If I end up going, I'm going to go for like two hours and then I'm going to have to fly back. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's what I was thinking of doing. I was like, well, maybe I can fly there since they moved into a <laughs> night game. I'll fly out there like in the morning on Saturday, go to the game. <laughs> And then like fly back Sunday, but all the flights are expensive on Sunday. So I was like, well, maybe I'll drive back Sunday then. So <laughs> the I don't know. For UTSA. Yeah. We're like, we're really I, I know. I know. <laughs> you know, shout out to everything my girlfriend does for me during football season because I go crazy during football season. Like I'm not like this for any other sport. I would not do that. But sometimes we do these things. So um, looking forward to that. But that's going to do it for this segment, the interview I have with Bernadette Pena. It's just going to be me going forward. It's going to be Erica and I doing the interviews together. It's kind of the last interview, as far as we know, that I'll be doing solo. And so I want to get to that with Bernadette Pena. I'm really excited. It's a great story. Erica will be back with us to give the local recommendation as well as the question of the week, and we'll wrap everything up. But listeners, we're going to get into the interview with Bernadette Pena. Before we get to my discussion with Bernadette, I want to remind listeners to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, 
Instagram and Facebook at SAPod Network. That's SA as in San Antonio, Pod as in Podcast Network. If you haven't already, also please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Like I mentioned earlier, today's guest is Bernadette Pena. She is the owner and creative director of Miela Media, founded in 2017. Believing the need for representation transcends over the ages, Nuestra Gente, which is part of Miela Media, honors the journey and achievements of innovators, dreamers, and visionaries. Bernadette connects the audiences to the past, influencing present and future generations. This seed of knowledge encourages a healthy sense of belonging and self-identity, celebrating cultural diversity and acceptance of differences. Bernadette began her career in banking and finance in 1997 with Frost Bank here in town. A natural-born planner, she ventured into the national production arena as an event producer, kicking off her new endeavor with the premier Latino event at the 2012 Democratic National Convention. Bernadette has co-produced national events alongside political leaders, celebrated athletes, and famed figures. She is an avid supporter of organizations focused on accessible programming for underserved communities, most notably on the south side of San Antonio. She has worked directly with corporate partners to secure funding for programs and services for south side residents living with physical and intellectual disabilities. Bernadette served as board member for Eva's Heroes and the Epilepsy Foundation of Central and South Texas. Bernadette believes in applying her time, knowledge, and experience toward the advancement of the community. She is the board member for Mission TIRZ, City of San Antonio, and served on San Antonio College and Palo Alto College Scholarship Committees, the Committee for the Empowering Voters Project, League of Women Voters of San Antonio, and as executive board member for the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, serving as co-chair for the Census Committee. She was born and raised right here in San Antonio and has been married to her husband, Joe Pena, for 24 years. She is most passionate about spending time with family and her beautiful granddaughter, Ella. So with that said, here is my discussion with Bernadette Pena of Nuestra Gente. Welcome, Bernadette. Happy to have you here on SA Talk. I'm excited to talk to you um, just about everything, you know, from Hispanic Heritage Month to, you know, your exhibit right? And everything that you've done and what led you here. So speaking of what led you here, are you from San Antonio originally? I am. And thank you, Zach, for, for hosting me. Uh, yes. Uh, originally from San Antonio, we did live in California for a bit, came back. Um, but yeah, born and raised on the South side. So what, what inspired you to get started into this kind of work? So, you know, it originates from the need for representation. Um, at the time, we were homeschooling uh, my granddaughter, and I was looking for positive representation of Latina women. And when I went to the library looking for the books, I was told by the librarian that there weren't any written. And he encouraged me to solve the problem. He said, what do you want to do with this? And at that time, I didn't really know like where that was going to go. Um, we came home and um, we were reading a book about Frida Kahlo. And so I, I started to recognize that my granddaughter was identifying with some of the attributes of, of Frida. For instance, um, she identified with her eyebrows. She identified with the flowers in her hair and love for painting. And then she identified with the disability. And, you know, Ella lives with a disability, a physical disability and a cognitive disability. And so she, when she identified with Frida, I, I really took it upon myself to say like, you know, would you like to dress like Frida, you know, out of fun? And it was in that moment where she just, this confidence just like, you know, exuded from her. 
And at that moment, I thought, well, you know, could I be on to something here? You know, this is this is fun for her. It's it's something that she connects to. So we did the same for other influencers like Ada Lovelace, Celia Cruz. And then after that, you know, I had parents reaching out to me saying, this is fantastic. How do we how do I get my child involved? Um, And then then what happened next was there was this, you know, we were working against this this uh, narrative, all of this negative context shared in the media. And I thought to myself, there's no way that I could have our youth or anyone believe this about our culture. You know, we we have contributed to the American fabric and we need to get our stories out. Now, historically, our stories are left out. Um, yeah. So, and and, yeah. and I want to build on that real quick because yeah. you bring up a good point. And I brought this up. I did an interview with uh, Raymond Perez. He worked on the Selena Netflix series. We actually went to high school together and we were talking about Hispanic representation in like Hollywood, for example, or just shows in the media. You know, one of the things I brought up, and this was just just pure out of opinion and my experience seeing it in the media was, you know, the only times that you would see Hispanic culture in the media was like through Narcos, right? That was like the popular series was like drug dealers, right? And then, of course, you had um, our, you know, prior president talking about uh, Mexicans and in and, and with negative connotation and yes. and the crime and things. They, so you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, when we look, if you're just taking an average person watching the local news, watching the media, seeing what's going on on Twitter, um, watching Netflix, if you don't actually live somewhere like San Antonio and you're not around Hispanics on a daily basis, you know, that's the picture you're going to get, right? You're going to get, oh, okay, well, they have a history of drug cartels and, you know, they're coming across the border and and that's it. You know, you're not going to get the actual history and what we've contributed. Right. 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 So, so I, I, I just wanted to stop you right there because I, I definitely agree with that. And, and I see it as an issue. And so anyways, continue on about yeah, <laughs> what and, you're doing to help that. And, you know, like our narrative is 500 year, 500 plus years in the making. Right. So it's starting with the with colonization and and, you know, um, all of the, all of these, this, this context that came to play, I really came into this place where I thought I cannot, I cannot have anyone feel ashamed. Now, historically, because our stories have been left off, left out, our language has also been, you know, um, taken away too, right? In many ways. So students, you know, who were in school, which is probably, you know, a, a grandparent or an individual of that generation, where they were chastised for speaking Spanish, you know, they were, they were punished in school. And so there's this, this in-between of, what was happening then and the progression of that of to now, um, including like the Chicano movement, things like that. So all of those elements, everything that that I was learning about and unlearning too, right? There's things that we had to unlearn about that have been um, you know, taught in school, which has been like a one-sided story. I really wanted to figure out something to bring. Um, to bring our youth together and to tell these stories, to retell the stories. Um, I chose children because one, it originated with my granddaughter and this the ability for her to see herself in these historical figures. Um, but also they have their own stories too. It's a connection of, of generations. You know, it's a it's my work is definitely a multi-generational approach. 
um, connecting the past to the um, uh, present and uh, encouraging, you know, the future leaders of our country. So that was kind of the beginning of Nuestra Gente, right? Yes. That's the Nuestra Gente tribute. Yes. And, and so now, now you kind of have like a permanent home for that exhibit, but what was the exhibit before? I mean, how did you, how did you show this off? Yeah. So, you know, what was really interesting was um, I started out with these little tiny 11 by 17 photos um, and first opened up at Mission Library. One of the biggest, um, one of the biggest factors for me in and putting this exhibit and showing it was that it was going to remain accessible to the public. Um, so I looked for those public spaces. Uh, then after that, uh, was hosted by Via, who graciously expanded the photos into these large 24 by 24 um, um, photos. And um, so after that, it's become a traveling exhibit. Um, so it goes in, of course, with the, um, you know, current circumstances of this pandemic, um, I had to shift very, very quickly and show that virtually. So we travel into schools, um, travel into community centers, anywhere where um, they're open to the programming. Um, and now uh, it's been two years in the making, um, but now there's a permanent home for the exhibit um, at Texas A&M University, San Antonio, which I'm really excited about because it opens up the door and, and it's actually based off of my, my initial intention of one, keeping it accessible to the public. And as I continue to share these stories and go into schools, we now have a place where they can come, the students can come and they can see the exhibit in person and also torque a, a school campus, right? A college campus. Uh, at a Hispanic serving institution, that was very, very important to me. Also, that it is in the community that I grew up. There wasn't, at the time when I was, you know, growing up on the South Side, there wasn't a, um, an institution that was, you know, available to us at the time. We had to go to the North Side for, for college at that time. And explain a little more about the exhibit itself. You know, earlier you talked about how your granddaughter, how Ella, you know, how identified with some of the characteristics and the features of Frida Kahlo, for example, which many people know. But, you know, just going through some of the pictures of Nuestra Gente, you see some of the other Latino and Latina, you know, uh, just historical figures being represented by these children. So kind of talk about that. Are they, you know, are they dressing up like them? Is it because they feel like they have features of them? Are they doing anything else related to, you know, that history? Kind of explain more of what the exhibit shows. Sure. So so initially when um, when this started, we we paired the child with um, their aspirations. So, for instance, um, if do you aspire to uh to be an attorney. Okay, so I'll I'll say this too that it also we also pulled part of the story too from the in the historical figure, you know, um, historical or modern day figure. For instance, Carmen Tafoya, the young the young girl who um, is photographed as Carmen Tafoya is living with a disability, and Carmen Tafoya writes children's books and and poetry, of course. 
And she also tells a story of her daughter who also lives with a disability. It looks differently, but, but uh, they're of the same community. So intentionally, I built these layers within the exhibit was starting with the child and connecting them to what they aspire to be. I had these stories that I wanted to tell. And then it's, it's kismet almost like it just all came together so beautifully. Um, so not only are, do we have the layer with the child, and their story, the historical or modern day figure, but also as a collection itself, like the entire exhibit uh, also tells a story too. Um, so the kids, you know, um, uh, I'll use a perfect example. Uh, I have a friend, uh, she's heavily involved as, in civic organizations and, and, and actually is now, you know, in uh, part of an amazing organization, changing policy to, uh, you know, to advance the right of rights of Latinos. So um, we were at the Cesar Chavez March and I saw her son holding a megaphone and he's, he's, you know, got his fist in the air and he's chanting, si se puede, si se puede. And so his photo today is of Cesar Chavez. And initially at that time, you know, um, he, he immediately identified with what the, the purpose of the exhibit was too, because he knew that he didn't see that story typically shared in school. Um, so it's, it's really fantastic to watch all of the stories come together. Um, and then also to understand that the children, which started out, you know, in 2018, the children now are a little bit older. So they have they have built they have built this foundation upon learning uh, more about, you know, who these people are, who our people are. If someone were to ask you and I'm sure you want everyone to enjoy the exhibit, but if someone were to ask you, who who is this really for? Like, who is this really serving? Um who is it really serving? Is it, you know, is it the children? Is it so they can learn about these, these historical figures or is it the adults so they can also learn about their past culture, right? That they may not have learned in school. Who is it really for? You know, that is, it's not an easy answer because it's actually for everyone. Because just as you mentioned, children need to see themselves, you know, and, and reflected and understand who they can be. Um, our older generation, those who were part of the Chicano movement, those before them who were living through discrimination and segregation, it's for them too, and very much for them. Um, initially, I thought it was going to be just for children, but as the exhibit continued um, throughout San Antonio and to be shared you know, throughout other platforms, um, the, the outreach from the senior com community was was amazing. I mean, they came through and saying, I wish I had this when I was growing up. Do you know what this could have meant for me? Um, and I even, you know, I, I recall um, an individual who came to me in tears and she said, I, I, I thank you for sharing these stories because we're forgotten. Our generation is forgotten. And that's really compelling. It's compelling. It's, it's you know, it's a it signifies the trauma that, you know, the generational trauma that that um, that many of us have our ancestors have gone through um, as a result of the systemic practices. Right. So um, it's unpacking a lot of that conversation, um, but it's for everyone. I mean, definitely everyone takes something away from it and not only for for individuals who are of Latin descent, but also to 
um, those who are looking to learn, right? Who are our allies and who are helping, you know, build these narratives and share authentic narratives too. Talk about some of the actual, you know, influencers that are represented there at, at the exhibit. Who, who are some of the people beside like someone like Frida Kahlo, for example? These are my babies, right? I'm so protective of this work. These have become my babies in many ways. But um, Rosita Fernandez is is one of my favorites. Um, and that's that's because I have a biased opinion. Ella is photographed as Rosita, but really telling her story, too. And um of course, you know, when we look at the exhibit, I also want to make sure that it's it's a very diverse group, right? So we have artists in there, we have activists in there, Dolores Huerta, we've got, of course, Cesar Chavez, Tito Puente, Lynn Manuel, uh, Miranda. There's there's it, it's different storylines that are all coming together. Um, and locally, you know, I really wanted to emphasize the individuals who have impacted San Antonio directly so that the viewer has an immediate connection to the storyline too. So Emma Tenayuca is in there, Maria Latigo Hernandez. Um, I also have the story that I'm actually going to release today, Alonso Perales, um, who was instrumental in the founding of LULAC, which is the longest um, Hispanic serving um, in civil rights institution in the US. Um, there's the stories of, of Ellen Ochoa, who was the first Latina in you know, in NASA to go up in space. Um, one interesting thing about her is that, you know, she's modern day, um, but her story has now been removed, you know, from the Texas Education Agency's reading list. There are so many influencers locally and, you know, um, throughout the, the U.S. Jose Andres, who started the uh, World Central Kitchen, you know, stepping in to feed um, uh, individuals after these natural disasters. Um, just a plethora of stories of artists, you know, of course, Frida's in there too. She's she's commonly known just like Selena as part of pop culture. But um, it's important to tell the story of Judy Baca, who is in California now and who, um, who you know, does a lot of work in the community um, and centralizes a lot of her work on murals, right, to make sure that it's accessible to the public. So those are important things to show, like how the um, these influencers today are incorporating and involving, you know, community. And I'll be honest with you, Bernadette, like some of these names I, I don't even recognize, right? And so I think that kind of goes to your point about this, an exhibit like this, not just being for children, right? It's for adults yes. who, who are need to learn, honestly, about, about the culture, about the history, why do you think that is that that there's adults out there like myself and, and many, many others who may not recognize these names, may not recognize or, or understand some of the cultures um, that are being represented, some of the individuals that are being portrayed? You know, why, why do you think that is? Uh, if the answer is very straightforward. It's it has a lot to do with the, um, you know, the educational system. Um, our kids are being taught um, in a within these parameters. Much of that conversation is is being left out, and and I'll tell you that teachers 
teachers have a lot going on already. And, you know, I really applaud those who, who try to integrate these stories into all of the requirements that they have to meet. Um, but it's a, ch- it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And so um, there's a lot of information, too, that has recently, you know, come up around like critical race theory, and it has this negative connotation. The, the fact is, is that critical race theory is not typically taught until you get to college, right, depending on um, the, um, the, uh, the level of education that you are seeking, right, if you're looking at whatever you're looking uh, to, to whichever you aspire to and follow. But in the, you know, K through 12 setting, um, typically these influencers are taught in within these months, right? Like Hispanic Heritage Month or um, uh, Black History Month. And so that's a challenge. That's a real challenge. I would also say too that parents and families, they, they really a long time have thought these, these cultural elements and these stories are being taught in school. And so they are also surprised, you know, that, that um, their children are not learning about these individuals. So it really, it really has to do with the fact that the educational system was the, the parameters that they work within were not built to tell these stories outside of what was in the textbook. So that's why you see this intense need for ethnic studies, right? And, and to make sure that there's a conscious effort to integrate this into the, into the work. And it's so easy to do, for instance, when you're talking about an invention such as popcorn, the, pop, the Aztec are, are um, the originators of popcorn. Right. So there's there's um, kernels that have been found. There's there's archaeological studies. So it's very simple to do and incorporate into the work. But still, the the education, the educators are, you know, are really bogged down with other things like, you know, testing and other um, requirements that they have to meet. And so it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And so my exhibit I'm invited to come into the classroom and it serves as a resource. So it's already there, it's ready to go. So the teachers can kind of just step back and say, here it is ready, you know, it's ready for um, for viewing. We can tell different elements to the story and um, it could be a, a, a one day presentation or it could be over the course of a week, you know, just depending on what they're what they're looking for. But really it goes back to, you know, the lack of resources of, um, of actually of the truth being shared within our textbooks, right? Um, and so what's that call to action that we have to demand, you know, for the truth of our, of our culture to be shared? I think no matter what, it starts with children. And, and I think yes. an exhibit like this is great, not just because it can be targeted toward towards children, but also because it involves children and, and it gets them involved so that they learn. And I think you know, everything that you just talked about and just also my personal beliefs as far as how important the educational aspect of it is, you know, whenever we're trying to change anything in society, whether it's financial literacy, whether it's, you know, regular literacy, whether it's, um, you know, people understanding cultures, it honestly, in my opinion, it starts with children. Like you can only do so much to change the minds and 
how adults are going to act. Right. You know, right. most people, most people are not willing to unlearn uh, going to the word you used earlier. Right. But children are still being molded. Right. And so I feel like if you want to change anything in society, no matter what the topic is, it's you, you got to start with children. And I think that's what this is doing. Right. I think that's it, it's teaching it to the children so that they'll teach their children. Right. And, and I think that's why to me, if you were to ask me, I was like, this honestly is so much more important being targeted towards children. Right. And as, I'll tell you that um, as I present in, into the, the schools, the, the children want more. They want more. They, they're, they're so intrigued by the stories. And honestly, because that, you know, we're unpacking, um, we're unpacking a lot, right? We're unpacking generations of being left out, you know, the story being left out. Um, when I present to MOSS classes um, and the high school, I was challenged with um, by the students who asked, what's next? OK, you came in, you did all this work. We we they loved it. And the stories that emerged from this program and this curriculum was in, incredible. But they asked, what's next? What's next for us? And I thought, okay, this is a challenge to me. Where am I going to create space for them to continue this conversation? So um, in that light, I, you know, created Nuestra Gente Mi Forturo. And this is a youth advisory council. So youth are invited to come in. We hold space for these conversations. Um, we also talk to community leaders. Um, having these conversations, I'll tell you, like the, one of the things that they did right away is they jumped in to tackle um, um, inequities in San Antonio after they understood what that looked like traditionally on the west side of San Antonio by learning the story of Emma Tenayuca and Maria Latigo de Hernandez. Uh, when they learned of those stories and what they were fighting for, the inequality and injustice at the time, um, and still today that, that the community is facing, um, they wanted to know they wanted more information. So they wanted to know who do we need to talk to? And they brought in a subject matter expert. Um, this Friday, there will be um, a, a release, another release talking about, you know, other critical conversations too. So what's interesting is, you know, it's really, it's really interesting to watch youth because they are unapologetic. And I love that. I love that because there's generations before um, who, you know, were dealing with different scenarios at the time. And we've now come to a place where the kids are so engaged and they're ready for action. They're ready for actionable change is what I should say. Um, and so they're ready to have those conversations and, and they want to expand on the stories. And I love that. I love watching them do that. You know, they'll talk about um, a story such as um, Emma Denayuka and, and they'll, they'll relate it back to, you know, what are we doing today? What does this mean today? Right. And so the, the history of, of Emma Denayuka is um, a 16 year old who, um, you know, started uh, in the picket line, right? She started protesting the treatment, uh, mistreatment of, of workers, you know, the pecan sheller strike. Um, she was, she was um, basically, she was um, outcasted by, you know, the San Antonio community, went away, came back, and she was a teacher at Harlandale. I mean, can you imagine, right, like this iconic civil rights activist who came back to San Antonio and was a teacher. So there's, there, there's this, 
connection that they are establishing. But but the reality of it is that where does it what happens next, right? So they're learning and they are carrying all of this information into their future. And they're making sure that what they're learning is going to um, motivate them to make sure that they are are going to create that change. One is going to want to be a, you know, a policymaker, the other a doctor, um, another a nurse. So they want to create that change. And it's fantastic to watch them from what evolved as an exhibit to now motivate them and and their aspirations. It's it's amazing. It really is. Now we're recording this on Thursday, October 14th, the day before technically Hispanic Heritage Month ends. Um, and by the time the listeners listen to this, Hispanic Heritage Month will technically be over. But how do we make sure that it that it doesn't end? How do we make sure that it's not over? How do we continue on? Because, you know, whenever we're talking about any kind of month, right, or week or anything that we're trying to celebrate a certain culture, we want to make sure that it doesn't end. Yeah, it's bringing light to the other people who may not know, but but how do we make sure just as a society that it doesn't end on October 15th every year? That is a great question. And I, I'll say that, you know, this is why I extend my conversations throughout the year. Um, and we go beyond Hispanic Heritage Month. And, and the way that we honor our culture is by um, making sure that we support Latino owned businesses. Your podcast today, we need we need all Latino listeners to share, you know, to share your work, right? Because you're telling stories. And that's that's how what we need to do. We need to continue to share the stories. We need to continue to support and uplift our community, whether that is in the arts, if we're um, looking at um at policy changes, we have to get involved. We have to make sure that is how we honor our antipasados, right? We honor our ancestors by doing the work. We are their wildest dreams and, and we don't end in a month. Our, our culture doesn't end in a month, right? And we're very fortunate in San Antonio because we are in a cultural bubble where um, our, our culture is seen at every turn, right? We, we, we have Dia de los Muertos coming up, but what we also need to be very conscious of not appropriating too. So, you know, that's, there's an appreciation, but we don't want appropriation of our culture either. We have to be very conscious of, as a community of, a, of you know, making sure that we protect those elements too. Um, so that is, you know, I would say that that's important. Also, um, I would also, you know, just emphasize that, Within, within yourself that you take pride in who you are and that you dig into your past too and who, where you came from, those stories that, that have you know, shaped the family, you know, um, the, the course of your family into who you are today. And, um, and it's the good and the bad, right? It's the good and the bad. I mean, there's, we're human, right? We're human. And so our stories are not going to be this straight line. You know, we had, we, our, as a as a community and our culture, we've overcome many challenges and adversity, and, and you know, and mistreatment. And the the reality of it is, we have to we have to pull together, right? We have to pull together and make sure that um, that we are honoring and taking pride in all these contributions. 
Um, I would also say too, you know, to um, aside from supporting these businesses is to look within yourself, right? How can you contribute? How do you contribute? How do you um, um, make sure that um, that people know that you are um, that you hold your, your culture and you you hold it with so much pride and and you are so steadfast in uh, making sure that the next generations are of, of leaders are empowered as well. Well, I think there also needs to be more representation Absolutely. In, in different industries as well, you know, and and recently within the last year or so, it's been brought to the attention of many San Antonians about the representation in the media. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, Hispanic representation in the media. And look, I mean, I'm a small time podcast and the, but the truth is most of Hispanic representation in the media, at least in my eyes, are through just the podcasts here in San Antonio. And that's it. There's a few other great podcasts that I listen to here in San Antonio and they have Hispanic hosts. But if you look at the bigger news companies, right, the actual news, that's where you see the lack of representation. And and honestly, to me, it's, I know it, it's, I'm probably oversimplifying it here. It should, and, and this even goes to other industries when, when you're talking about board members and things like that. It should really represent the community that you're in. Absolutely. If yes. you have a majority Hispanic community, then your board should look like that. Your right. board should look like that. Your 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 employees should look like that, right? And not just your the lower tier, not just the entry level, but but up to the top. And so yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I just wanted to add it in the representation as well. Yeah, you know. Um, and I think that's a huge part of it. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's how we honor, right? That's that call to action that we we take our place at the, at the table. And I want to also say, too, that, you know, I was very, even though I was approached by other organizations and institutions, it was very important to me to have representation on the south side of San Antonio, right? I wanted for that to be accessible to students, um, especially those who are in underrepresented areas of, of our city. Earlier, you were talking about appropriation and appreciation and the difference. And, and it caught my ear because I recently had a, a very, very mini conversation about it on my Searching for San Antonio series interviewing the the owners of Felice Modern. Um, and of course, we know Felice Modern, you know, their their products that they sell there are all, you know, intertwined with the Mexican, Tex-Mex, San Antonian culture. And people love it. It's popular here in San Antonio. People love Felice Modern. And and obviously, both of them are, are Hispanic. But one of the owners, Mario, was talking about the difference between appropriation and appreciation. Yes. And, and I brought it up briefly in that conversation because, again, searching for San Antonio, for my listeners who know, is more of just an interview style. It's less of a discussion, less kind of less opinionated. Opinions are kind of set aside for, for this show, for essay yes, talk. Yes. So kind of give your take on that because I feel like it's a very gray area. It's a very uh, blurred line between appropriation and appreciation. For for example, you know, one thing out there is like the um, the millennial loteria, right? right? Or the pandemic loteria. Now, on at first glance, it's hilarious, and I and I I think it's hilarious. Yes, but there can be groups of people who feel like, well, you're appropriating the the actual loteria. You're using that that culture, I guess, and you're making it, you know, cater to a different demographic. 
And so is that appreciation or is that appropriate? You know, what, where does the line get blurred? You know, uh, so the millennial loteria is so, uh, it's really funny that you bring this up because through TikTok, I connected with the creator and um, it was, you know, kind of just, just this by chance moment. Right. And, and asking him questions and, and really he was looking for something to identify to his generation. Um, it's something that, that Lothadia, we've, we've all grown up on it. You know, we've all played it. Um, and there's been different variations of it. And I think that that's, and that's the important part of this is like, you know, a Latino, a Latino creator came in and he created a variation of something he built upon, you know, he built upon this concept, which is not unusual. It's not unusual to see that. I think where appropriation is really significant is a non-Latino, um, um, you know, um, communities who are donning a sombrero and fake mustache on Cinco de Mayo. You know, that that's very disrespectful. That is, you know, there's a way to celebrate if you if you are of of um, allied community and you want to participate in the celebration of, you know, of Cinco de Mayo activities, then understand understand where it originates from, right? This, the, the battle of why, why it's so significant to our community. Um, also, don't, don't, we are not a costume. We're not a costume. So, um, so if you are looking at, at really participating, you, you participate by learning, right? Learning why. Um, you, you participate um, by supporting a Latino-owned business. Um, you participate by, um, by um, amplifying and making space for Latino voices, right? Um, and there's a way that we, in our, in San Antonio, we have many people, you know, wearing fiesta dresses, you know, during the year, throughout the year. They're beautiful. These textiles are, are amazing. And there's, as you said, there's this fine line, right? And I think that if it's worn, it's, it's more than just a pretty fabric. It's, it actually is a story. These textiles are stories. Um, so they come together that way. And if you're going to wear our clothing, if you're going to wear our culture, which many of us do, you know, many of us wear a culture, um, that you have an understanding of it too, and that you remain respectful and not treat it as a costume. Um, in the home too, right? We, like, as you mentioned, um, Tex-Mex and um, these, you know, um, Latin American influences, um, I think it's, it's wonderful to see an appreciation of culture of culture and um, uh, uh, many of that was opened up in movies through like Coco, right? And the significance of Day of the Dead. So I've had people reach out to me and ask, well, it's not of my, it's not of my culture, nor has it ever been a tradition to set up an altar, but is it okay for me to set up an altar? And I said, that's the whole significance of this of this um, tradition is to honor your loved ones, your deceased loved ones. And so if you're, if you are 
if you are going to set up an altar, I, we ask that you really do the work to understand, you know, the significance of, you know, the, um, the elements that make up the altar. And then also to make sure that you learn, that you learn and that you expand, you know, what you're doing. So it's not a costume, right? We want for people to understand who we are. So we do have to open up those conversations, right? That's how people learn. To me, and again, I, I think sometimes I over, oversimplify it, but to me, it honestly just boils down to like, ask yourself, are you doing this as a joke? Right. Are you doing this to be funny? Exactly. Or are you doing this because you have a passion for it and you like it and you enjoy it? You think that you know you want to learn more about it. Like it honestly just boils down to that. Absolutely. Like which one are you doing? And the example you gave about the sombrero and putting a fake mustache on, you're doing that to be funny or trying to be funny right? You're doing that as a joke. And so that is where you're going to go down the road, most likely of appropriation. Whereas let's say, and and honestly, I'm going to use an extreme example here. Let's say you are an African-American family or even a white family, right? And you have no Hispanic relatives that you know of, right? And, And you want to set up something like an altar, okay? But you're doing it because you're like, wow, this is something I really want to do. I want to pay respects to my you know, deceased relatives and, and you want to buy into the culture, that's much different. And to me, that wouldn't be appropriation because you're willing to learn more about it. You're doing it out of love. You're doing it out of, because you have a passion for it, not because you're doing it as a joke. And I think that's what it honestly boils down to the difference between appreciation and appropriation is just what, how, how are you actually, like, what is your mindset what going is into your this intention? action? Yes. Yeah, what is exactly. your purpose and intention? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I usually like to wind down the the, the discussion on on a more lighthearted note, mm-hmm. and that is just kind of talking about San Antonio. Uh, being that you're a native, of course, it's always a favorite of mine to ask natives these kinds of questions. But what are your, some of your favorite places around San Antonio? Like, where do you like hanging out? I'm sure you have a million places. Um, I you know, do. Where, where do you like going to? <laughs> I do. You know, the of course with the pandemic, there's there's been some challenges with that, but. You know, one of my favorite places to, to go um, is to Market Square. I, I usually go during the day. I love to go see, uh, especially in the, the height of, you know, um, a celebration. Let's just say Cinco de Mayo, right? You know, and there's a lot of foods that come together. There's a lot of, of you know, um, things that are sold. And it's just so vibrant. I love to see this vibrant, the vibrancy of our culture, the colors and the people come together. Um, so, you know, I'm from the South side. And so, you know, I love to, um, you know, I, I do, I love to, you know, just explore the different, you know, um, pop-ups in our area, like these new coffee shops and um, these other places that, um, you know, are also talking about or have this cultural setting, right? That's very important to me to connect to where I'm at too. I'm a very social individual. So going out, you know, um, we look for that, you know, we look for that work. Where can we go and have a great time? Um, There's a new, uh, during the fiesta, this past fiesta that we had in the summer, uh, I discovered some new restaurants. And so there's some stuff that, you know, that, you know, some places I really want to go back to. Um, the new one is at the, um, it's a rooftop bar and that was so much fun. It was at, at the new hotel um, that's um, 
down on Houston's now on Commerce Street now. It's uh, by the Esquire. I can't remember the name of it, but um, that was a really fun place. Um, and we met some people from out of town and, and they were just they were enamored with the city. They were enamored with it. Um, but, you know, I, I think. I think our city has so much to offer um, anyone, right? If you're looking for something from a cultural, you know, standpoint, of course we have our, you know, world heritage um, um, uh, designation. The missions are beautiful. Um, and then we also have, you know, like these other places like the Arneson, you know, theater that, you know, showcases all of the, you know, historical dance, right? Like ballet folklorico and things like that. Well, uh, before I let you go, Bernadette, I mean, definitely give the listeners where they can find you, where they can find uh, Nuestra Gente, um, everything that you do, anything coming up, any big events coming up, any programming, anything like that. This is your time to kind of plug in, shout out anything happening and, and where they can kind of follow. Okay, thank you. So, you know, Instagram on all social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Um, the exhibit can be found at Texas A&M San Antonio. That is open to anyone who wants to visit the campus. Um, of course, on mielamedia.com. Um, if anyone's looking for programming or has an interest, you know, to invite me into their conversation, that's available too. Um, also, the upcoming, there's a lot upcoming, um, you know, a lot on the calendar, continuing to share the stories. Um, I'm also launching, this has been about a year in the work. Um, stories of Nuestra Gente, where I invite community members to come in and tell the stories of individuals within their family or um, or um, somebody else that, that they want to tell of, you know, so like um, uh, a cultural element, whatever it is. Um, so I'm inviting community community members to come in on my platform to share um, those stories. Um, also too, um, there's, a, there's a lot that's on, you know, on the dock that I cannot discuss yet because we're still figuring out contracts, but um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited because this is expanding um, beyond um, my wildest dreams, right? It's, it's, it's really, it's really one of those moments where um, this is beyond me. Um, it's, it's such a need for the, or for the community at large. And um, I'm excited to see all of the wonderful things that it's, it's going to do. I'm, I'm really am. So I'm working towards that as quickly as I can and um, and the representation that's coming with it. It's been um, it's been exciting. Well, I'm excited as well. I'm excited for you. Um, I wish you all the best Thank in the you. future um, in all your endeavors, but, you know, especially in Nuestra Gente. Um, but thank you again for, for coming on to Essay Talk, Bernadette. I really appreciate our conversation. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That wraps up my conversation with Bernadette Pena. We're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back with our question of the week, as well as our local recommendation by Erica. So stay tuned. This is what we're made of. The businesses that line our streets and the customers that make them flourish. As a business owner, this is your community, your members, your regulars, your neighbors. Your business is unique, so are your customers. No matter who you need to reach, Spectrum Reach is here to help you connect with the right message on every screen. Visit SpectrumReach.com to connect with a local advertising expert. That's SpectrumReach.com. Welcome back into SA Talk listeners. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Bernadette Pena. I know I really enjoyed it. I, I know 
Bernadette as, as a close friend. Um, her husband works for Frostbank and I've known him for a while. Um, we, we've participated in events throughout Fiesta and other events that they've put on. And she's really proud and I'm so happy for her with this new exhibit that she has, Nuestra de Gente. I, I was able to visit the permanent home of the exhibit there at Texas A&M San Antonio. I'd actually never been on that campus before. It's really beautiful. Uh, you can tell it's new. It's a little small and maybe I didn't get to visit all the buildings. It felt pretty small, but it felt new and it, it, it's really nice. And and I got to see the actual exhibit there. So she's doing great things. I'm really happy for her. Um, I'm excited to see the exhibit grow and see the ideas she has grow there with Nuestra Gente. But getting into this episode's local recommendation and question of the week, again, we have Erica back joining us to give her local Ah. recommendation since (laughs) it's her first episode here on (laughs) Essay Talk. So tell me a little bit about your recommendation because I had heard of it, but I'd never been there. Okay, so basically when I first met my partner, uh, he and I would always crave breakfast tacos and this place was right down the street. And so... I became a fan, quickly became a fan because I was always buying their breakfast tacos. And then, you know, come to find out there's another or there's not another, but they've since moved locations and come to find out my job has it about three minutes away. And they also have amazing, you know, lunch tacos and other menu items. I am talking about Wapo Taco. I don't know who's been. If you've been, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if if you haven't been, then you need to understand that this place is amazing. It's genuine Mexican food. Kind of like the message they send out is that this is legit Mexican food, not Tex-Mex, which there's nothing wrong with Tex-Mex. You know, sometimes I'm in the mood for Tex-Mex, but sometimes I'm in the mood for genuine Mexican food. And so Wapo Taco is, is giving giving us that. And it's the flavors are incredible. I've had their pastor, I've had their barbacoa, I've had their eggs and weenie or any breakfast taco, potato and egg, the whole thing. Incredible. Corn tortilla, flour tortilla, everything. I love it. Well, as long as they serve it on corn, <laughs> and that's my big thing, you know, yeah. because I would sometimes get breakfast tacos at Bill Miller's, and I'm not saying Bill Miller's is like your go-to Mexican breakfast taco place, but I got it out of convenience just because I would go there when I worked at Frostbank at the old tower before they built mm-hmm. the new one. And I would always get bean and cheese on corn, or I would get potato and egg on corn or, or bacon and egg on corn. But they stopped serving corn, I think during the pandemic, I want to say, I don't know if that had something to do with it, or if they were just like waiting to make that decision and that kind of sped <laughs> it up, but they stopped. And so I'm like, no, and I don't go to any place that doesn't serve it on corn, because I'm getting my breakfast taco on corn. So hearing that Wapo Taco does it and knowing that I know where it is, like, yeah. I'm definitely gonna go visit it because I honestly, and if if they are listening to this, if they do end up listening because we tagged them in something, yeah. you know, um, I just want to give my apologies because when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, here's another place that's like, <laughs> you know, it's going to be like fake Mexican breakfast tacos. But like hearing you talk about it and I'm like, yeah. okay, this place must be legit. So I'm definitely going to have to check it out. Honestly, I grade everything. Um, I grade every breakfast taco establishment based on their chilaquiles taco so um hopefully i get a good one i'm gonna say you're gonna get a good one like i am putting my name on the line out here i'm putting my mexican card on the line out here (laughs) (laughs) i know i'm looking at their menu yeah and the thing is is it used to be like a more hole in the wall just more run down establishment like on the outside you're like you know sometimes you can tell the restaurants good because it looks more exactly (laughs) because it looks more run down so when we first started going that's what it looked like and so i was like hell yeah like you know this is legit and it tasted that way and everything was great one day we show up and the owner's like we're moving we were like wait hold on what do you mean you're moving like you can't do this to us 
when I discovered their new location, I'm like, I get it now. Like they have a high tech menu, like everything's yeah. all modernized. And I think that's what threw me off, you it, know, is because I'm looking for the rundown places. I'm, again, I'm not saying Bill Miller's is that rundown place, but that was just out of convenience. Other places I would go to, I would get it because of that. Like that's what I'm kind of used to. Me too. But so seeing this whole new, it, you know, because it's in a new uh, mm-hmm. shopping strip, I guess, area that you would say over there, Jamefield. Yeah. And 1604, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, here we go. You know, no, fake yeah. breakfast tacos. It went but from like, like um, sorry, it went from the, uh, from like a banner for its name to LED signs. That That's kind of, you know what I mean? Well, if our listeners are looking to visit the place, like I said, it's over there on Shanefield and 1604. The actual address is 7907 West Loop 1604 North. That's, I think, and I think it's. Suite 101, that's zip code 78254. It's Wapo Taco, W-A-P-O Taco. You can follow them on Instagram at Wapo Taco TX. And same thing on Facebook um, if you want to keep up with them. But definitely go check it. I know I'm going to check it out. So if you want to check it out with me, definitely. And <laughs> let us know what you think about it. Because I'm going to let you know what I think about it. <laughs> so um, aside from that, you know, the last thing we do, Erica, is is give a question of the week to the listeners to kind of get their opinions on something related to whatever we were talking about that episode. Now, in the past, of course, I was just interviewing someone on Essay Talk. And so I would relate the question to you know, the conversation we were having. Um, and I think this does that. The question I want to know from the listeners is, have you ever set up an ofrenda? And I'm, I don't want to ask you too, like, have you ever set up an ofrenda, Erica? I, I haven't. <laughs> I never have. Uh, no, I haven't, actually. You know, of course, I feel like something we could all relate to is loss. And so definitely lost people, but I haven't, I haven't taken the time to set up an ofrenda. I think maybe I... I my generation just didn't get hit with it as hard back home. I'm not sure, but no. Well, and I didn't even know really what an ofrenda was. Right. Growing up. And keep in mind, my dad is Hispanic. My mom is white or Italian. And so, of course, I'm not like full on Hispanic and I wasn't going to see mm-hmm. that. But even with my grandparents, I mean, they didn't set it up either. And so, yeah, I don't know, I guess be- because I just didn't see it. And then, of course, there was no real representation of that. Like in the media, we didn't see stories written about it or anything. It honestly wasn't even until Coco came out that I knew what that really, really was. And my girlfriend and I love that movie. So, you know, (laughs) I think it's kind of furthered the the vision of it. I guess you would say people kind of know what it is because of the movie. And I've seen more of it. Even when I went to go visit with Bernadette from Nuestra de Gente over at Texas A&M San Antonio, we were going to take pictures by her exhibit and she was actually working there with students that evening on setting up an ofrenda there at one of their student buildings. And so I thought that was really cool, but you're seeing more of that. Like I know you mentioned something, which again, I had never heard of this either. You had mentioned something about the Pearl doing like a virtual one or something like that. Yes. Well, okay. First, yes. <laughs> the Pearl is, uh, they have this in-person ofrenda. It's huge. It's beautiful. Um, artists got commissioned to do it by the Pearl, but I guess also to expand its reach and to also to make it more accessible and to also just to combat, you know, some of the pandemic's influence or not combat mm-hmm. it, but to honor the influence of the pandemic. They've also made it digital. So you can actually honor your loved one, your your dead loved one by signing them up, sending them, sending their like name into the digital ofrenda. Yeah. I'm not sure if the picture is part of it. I feel like it should or would be, but I actually haven't been to the website myself. 
I just know that you can turn in the name and honor them. And they're building this like giant, you know, name or <laughs> name list archive of just people that are being honored. And I think it's awesome because a lot of people get to share and join in and honoring your loved one. And I also like the accessibility of it all. It, it doesn't matter where you are in San Antonio. It doesn't matter if you're busy and you can't get yourself to a physical ofrenda. This is something that's being, uh, that's it's open to you now. So if you wanted to take the time to shout out your loved one, you can. I'm glad that we're seeing, I guess, more of it, you know, around mm-hmm. town. Like the fact mm-hmm. that the Pearl was doing that at all. The fact that they were setting one up there at Texas A&M San Antonio. And I'm sure there's plenty more around town at different places Definitely. that we didn't mention. But Definitely you're just downtown. seeing more of it. I think, I think it's cool. I know last year for Dia de los Muertos, they were setting up the sugar skulls around downtown at different places. I didn't see that this year. I don't know. Maybe I just missed some. But yeah, I know that I know the they Utah had... is having like, or over the weekend, the past weekend, they're definitely having, no, it's still set up actually. They're still having ofrendas out there at La Villita or Hemisphere. Okay. Well, and I had seen, they had one there at Mitiera set up for the longest time, like just, I think oh. year round, to be honest with you. And it was, it was nice. pretty sad. I know when I first saw it, what it's for is the employees of Mitiera that were lost during the pandemic. Um, And I think just loss in general. I don't think it was just due to the pandemic. I just think employees that lost their lives, um, that ofrenda is set up, I think, year round, to be honest with you, there at at Mitiera. But again, just in general, that you're seeing it more around town. I'm glad. I'm glad that more people are seeing it. Because people, hey, tourists visit downtown. I'm sure they're going to wonder, like, what is that thing? And they get to learn more about it or look it up. So I think that's pretty cool. But again, listeners, the question is, have you ever set up and ofrenda. So if you want to answer, of course, on our new episode, or you can look out for our question of the week post, um, you can either reply, reply with hashtag SA Talk Answers, any way you want to get that answer to us. I'm sure we'll do something like on Instagram stories or where you can actually reply to it that way. So we'll definitely do that. Um, but that is going to do it for another episode of SA Talk. That's going to wrap up this week's episode. I'm so excited, Erica, that you're joining us <laughs> finally. You know, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that we're actually able to, to finally record this. I know a lot kind of went into just planning it and setting everything up and the technical difficulties that we went through. But <laughs> I'm so glad that that we're able to finally do it. And just going forward, having you on SA Talk and having you join in on my interviews on Searching for San Antonio. Um, and not just that, you know, the listeners of this podcast know that it's not just a podcast. In the past, you know, we've done coat drives. We've done raising, we, we've raised money for the food bank. We've raised money for UTSA. We've done workshops at Boys and Girls Club doing, um, t- teaching about podcasting to the teens. So like things like that, just being more involved in the community. And I know you have a busy schedule sometimes, but I think it's going to be cool. I think you'll be able to join us on some of those at least. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So again, I'm so excited to have you, Erica. Yes, thank you. I'm excited too. So I also want to thank the new listeners checking out the show for the first time. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our other series, Searching for San Antonio. If you want to help the podcast out, please give a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Do and it. lastly, if you or any business owners you know are looking to advertise with us with a great local podcast, an award-winning local podcast, you can reach out to us. Uh, my email, Zachary, that's Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y at sapodnetwork.com. And you can reach out to Erica at Erica at sapodnetwork.com. Thank you all again. Have a wonderful week. See you again next week. And viva San Antonio.